What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hello, everybody. Today's guest is really special. I just told her she's one of my favorite people that I've never met. And her name is Dr. Lee Richmond. She is a licensed psychologist in Maryland, who is presently, I believe, a professor of education in the area of counseling at Loyola College in Baltimore. But you all will remember Dr. Richmond in the Keepers as one of Joseph Maskell's former teachers. So welcome, Lee. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I have to correct uh, two things you said, though. name is now Loyola University, Maryland, and I no longer teach there. I'm a professor emeritus. Ah, are you retired? I have a, no, not really. I have a small business that does continuing education for counselors. We give workshops and offer CEUs through that are acceptable for graduate counselors who are in the schools or in mental health programs. Thank you for the clarification. While we're on that, can you please tell us a little bit about your career and where you started and how you got to where you are now? I got to where I was, where I am now by spending a long time being a professor, first at Hopkins and later at Loyola. There were 45 years of my life spent doing that. I don't know what else to say. I really don't. I was before that a teacher in schools and, uh, and then a counselor in school systems and then a professor at a community college and then went on to the university. Were you an elementary teacher? No. What, where did you start? High school. Okay. And was that in Maryland? Yes, it was. Where, and I taught English at history in Baltimore. All right. I also before then taught at a Catholic school. So you said you were a professor emeritus. What do you emeritus for a woman. Okay. What does that mean? It means that you have served a long time at the university and done some things that they think are worth all enough to bestow the emerita degree on you, the emerita title on you, and that you can use the university facilities and so forth for life. That's wonderful. And you've been both at Hopkins and Loyola? Loyola. 10 years at Hopkins, 30 years at Loyola. Okay. And when did you stop teaching at Loyola? About a year and a half ago. Okay. How did that feel? Great. <laughs> I bet you don't know how you had time to work. I'm pretty busy. I have two groups. I do counseling and I work with a partner in a small company called SciCal where we do continuing education. That's great. And I have a feeling you work with Baltimore County Public Schools, correct? 
I have. We've worked with Baltimore County. If you talked about Psychum, we've worked with Baltimore County, Baltimore, St. Mary's County. Just last week, we were in Philadelphia. So we offer training all over the place. Oh, that's wonderful. Just a couple of questions about what you were talking about, Lee. What kind of classes did you teach? Counseling, trained professional counselors. Before that, I when I was teaching, I didn't go into this, but when I was at a community college before I went to Hopkins, I used to teach psychology. Ah, so what exactly is your degree in? Because I know that people call you Dr. Lee. Counseling psychology. That's very cool. When in this career of yours did you actually come to know Joseph Maskell? When I was teaching at Hopkins, where I was for 10 years, he came as a student. How long ago was that? A postmaster student. It was during the, let's see, when did I go to Hopkins? It was in the 80s. Do you remember anything about him? Being a student of yours? Yeah, he was a really good student. I said that in the keepers. Uh, John Maskell was very intelligent. And when he came to Loyola, he was certainly a grown man, had been a priest for a while, and had directed the counseling program at Loyola University, where I now teach. I think someone, I think what happened the year he came is that someone who was their permanent director had died, and he came as interim director. And a professor at Loyola recommended that he come and talk to me at Hopkins, and that. And I met him there as a. He was a student, but also of a colleague because he had been in a college. Can I just ask for clarification on that? You met him actually at Hopkins. He right. came as a student to Hopkins. But right. he was at the same time teaching in he he, I was told that he was director of counseling at Loyola the year before that. Okay. And what would that entail? Actually counseling students or teaching? Teaching. Teaching students. Okay. Okay. How would you note that you said that he seemed like a very intelligent person? Is there any other way that you would use to describe him when you first started your interactions with him? Yeah, he was friendly and he was very personable and he got along well with everybody else that he was later on in class with. So he was a good student and a person that people liked. Did people know he was a priest? Yes. Yes, they did. As a matter of fact, I knew it. And he would often wear his priestly collar. I believe he was in a church at that time in South Baltimore, if I'm not mistaken. Holy Cross, I believe. Yes, that's one of the places where he worked. I know that you said he was a student of yours at Hopkins. How would you, I guess he was older than a lot of your students. Well, yes, he was, but the students were graduate students. And as you may know, graduate students can be of any age. A lot of them were coming back to school. So there were no like 22, 23-year-olds in the crowd. And would that be like a group of 100 or like what were your size? classes that he was involved in? Oh, they would have been small. They would have been anywhere between 12 and 23. Okay. And then did you, as you taught each semester, did you continue with higher levels? There weren't higher levels. This was a university teaching post-master's courses. So everybody there had master's degrees. He had a master's degree in psychology from another university. I believe it was South when he was Towson State University at the time. And he had a manager's degree in psych. I guess he, there was something other than his brightness to 
and the fact that he was a priest to set him aside from anyone else, they were all pretty bright. I'm just trying to think. I don't know how many semesters he was in my class. I know that I met him. I know that he was in class with me at least once. He was probably with other teachers as well. I don't remember who. I don't remember his transcript. I do remember that he was friendly with a group of students and particularly with a friend of mine. So as you got to know him through teaching, I remember that you talked about becoming friends, correct? I got to know him as a friend. He was a friend of a friend, and he was, I believe, in Holy Cross Church at that time. And there was some program that we wanted to do downtown. He let us use the church in the church hall. And some doing all these and these interactions, I got to know him as a friend, yes. When did you first start hearing about the accusations against him? That was years later. Was that um, around in the 90s? I believe so. He was at that time at a church near Elkridge, Maryland. I don't remember the name of the church. You would probably know that, but I don't remember the name of the church. Oh, um, St. Augustine's. St. Augustine's. Okay, I believe you. What happened, <laughs> I, lost contact, I had lost contact with him. I don't know how many years or how long a period of time. I can't tell you exactly how long that was. But a friend of his was a priest of this friend of his who is now dead named Lenore Lynch. He was the priest of her aunt in a church in Dundalk. And I believe it was he that called me to go to visit him at, you say, St. Augustine. So I did go visit Father Maskell at that time, Joe Maskell at that time. After not having seen him for a bit, I did not know that he had left Holy Cross Church, that's for sure. Can you walk us through that visit of what you remember? What I remember was talking with him, and he said that he was he had been sick. And I wanted to see this is the part that's vague in my memory. I believe that the friend of his that called me wanted to know if he were psychologically well. And so I went as a friend, but also to give an answer to my opinion of his mental state. And he told me that he had been sick. And I did not know at the time of the investigation as a priest or the church or any of this. So I had no idea other than the fact that he had not been well when I went to visit him. Is that, did I say that clearly enough? Yeah. Sure. Was he, do you think, was he, when you got there, was he physically ill? Was he in bed? Was he? He said he had been physically ill. He just said he had not been feeling well for a while. So I met him in the place where he was. I don't remember if it was in a room where there was a couch or a bed. I, I really don't remember. The only thing I remember clearly about him is that he started talking about some of his friends having been accused of all these things, which I did not know about at the time. And I don't think I said all of this in the keepers, but he told me that they had all been accused of of these different things. And was, I think because of that, that he was sick or whatever. And I asked him what what was going on. And he showed me papers with some accusations on that. And I said, what I remember saying is, Joe, how could you be a part of this? I think it was moral. How could you keep this quiet? Was that moral? And this I remember clearly. He said, absolutely. And at the time when he said that, I thought he was 
possibly very ill, possibly with some major psychological disorder. As things came out about the church, I can understand more about why he would say that, because I think he was trying to keep people from being disillusioned with the church. Jill always tried to be a good priest. He tried to be a good person. As far as I was concerned, as far as one could see visibly, I do not know how involved he may or may not have been in what he was in, in the accusation. But he said he, it was really important. It was absolutely moral to keep all this quiet. I think he was protecting the church. I really do. I don't think he was protecting himself. But in his mind, I think he was being protective because the accusations were pretty darn dire. They were dire. They were awful. I can't even. I can't even repeat them. Really, it, it yeah. would not be so, very nice. No, that's because okay. Priests were involved of, of sexual things with girls, with young girls, but also very abnormal kinds of sexual behaviors mixed in with religious behaviors. In other words, it appeared as though what the priests were doing, they were telling the girls that this was in the Holy Spirit so to speak, and it was sick. It was really sick. Where do you think the papers came from? Do you think he wrote them? No, they were types. They were from the archdiocese, and they had the seal on them. They were typed. I don't think he wrote them. The detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts, and follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? As we deep dive into these chilling tales, we all need a moment of escape, a way to unwind without the shadow of the night creeping in. Here's where recess mood comes in. Crafted with real fruit, and infused with mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing aptogens. Recess Mood is your guilt-free retreat. With just 20 calories, no added sugar. It's not just a sparkling water. It's a sanctuary and a can. Imagine unwinding during a gripping episode of Foul Play with a can of strawberry rose, or my favorite, raspberry lemon. Letting the stress melt away without the aftermath of alcohol. It's my little secret to staying balanced in the chaos of a busy life. You deserve a healthier way to unwind, to recharge, and to prepare for the next journey into the unknown with foul play. And for the devoted foul play listeners, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com shane to get 15% off recess mood your go-to alcohol replacement.
And so were they like a report or they were like a report? Do you remember if his name or anything that he was involved in was written? I there? don't rem- I don't remember that. I may have blocked that. I could not swear that his name was in there. And this was in 1992, correct? Whenever he was, this was whenever he was St. Augustine's or whatever. Yeah, that was around 92. And do you remember how many sheets of paper he had there and did he hand them to you? I said, what's going on? What's making you sick? And he did give them to me, yes. I guess your stomach fell out. Or you're just... Uh, no, my stomach didn't fall out. I just was surprised, uh, very surprised. Right. And how could... I do remember this. I said, how could you not talk about this? I suspect his name was not in it. I suspect he gave me papers of other people because I said, how, how could you not talk about this? Was that moral? Is this moral? And when he said, yes, it was, I did think he was mentally deranged and, and remember telling his friend that. I now am not sure that he wasn't just protecting people, perhaps himself and perhaps others. I think he saw himself as a protector, not as a, as a villain. And mm-hmm. there's several reasons for that. I knew that he worked for the state, I believe it was the state police. I knew that this person that sent him to Loyola person who was another professor and sent him from Loyola to Hopkins, that her daughter worked for the state police. I know that Mother Maskell took that daughter home regularly, drove her home because he wanted to protect her. And I also know there was no sexual anything with her. That visit that you had with him, how did that end? What was your position when you saw those? You've got to realize that my relationship with him was a friend relationship. So my initial reaction was shock when I saw them, but I did not show the shock. I was surprised. I was shocked. And what I said was, how could you be involved with this? How could you keep it a secret? I asked him those questions. And he said he was doing it for good reasons. And I said, how could you as a a priest as a moral? And he said, yes. And I did not debate it with him at that time. I thought he was deranged at that point. I just talked with him a little bit and said goodbye and left. No, I was in no official capacity. As as a friend of his, I know that you said that you don't remember there being his name on those papers. Do you think he would have came out and told you this is about accusations against me? Or do you think he would have left it more of a generic attack on the church? I don't know. And I can't swear his name was somewhere in the papers because when I saw the initial, when I initially read what was he was accused or they were accused of, these priests were accused of, it was literally sickening. It was not something I'd like to repeat. Yeah, what you may have seen was the charges being brought if, because of course we know after that, then became the Jane Roe, Jane Doe trial the case against Maskell. so what you may have just seen may not have had his name on it if they were just the charges that they were you know of what the women said happened there so were very priest names on it there were priest names on this paper that i know okay. Okay. did he give you those papers or did you leave them there i left them there they were not my okay. papers i didn't want them sure but he obviously wanted obviously trusted you and wanted you to see. I think he trusted me. I think he saw me as a friend. He might have seen me as somebody who could help him. 
Also, Lee, was that the last interaction you had with Joe? Yes. I never saw him again after that. And there was a phone conversation between me and the, between the person who told me he was there. And I remember asking him, asking, what did you think? And I said, I think he's not in a good mental state. I wasn't sure what it was that was the matter. And I asked what happened after that. And I believe they told me that this person, it wasn't a they, it was a single person, that he was to a place in New England. I, Connecticut sticks in my mind, but it may not have been Connecticut. A place in New England where he could heal. And I never saw him again after that point. I never saw him after I left that room. Correct. And there was an interview, and yeah, there was an interview in the Keepers. I'm drawing a blank on the name of the place. I'm sure your listeners will remember it, but the Something for Life, it was a, yeah, it's a facility for priests with issues. I don't know if you have interviewed his sister or not. I did meet his sister at one point because evidently she, I'm thinking back because she evidently was having some problems with the child of hers. I don't know what they were. I don't remember any of this. But I do remember meeting her and speaking with her at one point. This oh, was okay. before all this. Right. This was when yep. I was still at Hopkins. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to narrow down that state for you. I believe it was in the... I believe that I was at Hopkins from 1976 to 1986, almost 10 years, nine years and some months. So it would have been between 76 and 86 that I knew. That's a long time ago. We tried to talk to his sister, and she was not open to having any kind of conversation. So we just, we respect people's privacy, and we're not going to force somebody to be uncomfortable. Lee, you told me a couple years ago about a grant that you helped Joseph Maskell write. Is that correct? No. For an application for him to get into a doctoral program? Was that it? It was. He wanted to get into a doctoral program. And I thought he was going to get into a doctoral program. Evidently, he didn't. I saw him in a program called the Certificate of Advanced Studies, which is a post-master's program. So I don't know about a grant. He may have written a grant. I don't, if I were any part of that, I don't remember it. I do know that he wanted to get a doctorate that I would vouch for. In psychology? In counseling. In counseling, okay. Now, at Hopkins, there, I think I know what you're talking about. At Hopkins, we were going to start a doctoral program in counseling that I would have been in, in, in I would have been in charge of that program had we started it. We never did start a doctoral program in counseling. We did start one in emotional disturbance. And I was in charge of that program uh, until I left Hopkins in 86. Don't know if he was in that. I don't remember if he ever got into that program or not. I know he never graduated from it. After your meeting with Joseph at St. Augustine's, do you remember finding out that those accusations were about him? No, I did not find that out. I had suspicions that he was probably involved with that. 
And I think I said this to the keepers. I don't know if it was in the film or not, but I think when I was interviewed for the keepers, I visited St. Augustine's Church. No, not St. Augustine's, Holy Cross Church in Southeast Baltimore. I visited him there at that church several times because, as I told you, he did give us a place in South Baltimore to have meetings with public in that area. So I was, I was there a couple of times. He came back. At one time when I came, he was not there. But he came back and I said hello and I asked him where he's been and he said he's been in the cemetery. I said, what were you doing in the cemetery? And he said, there are lots of weeds in the cemetery. They haven't kept the cemetery up to date, and I'm responsible for the cemetery. So I was digging there, cleaning up the cemetery. That I do remember. And I do think I told the people who interviewed me that I had. And I was wondering why, as a priest, he had to do that. But heck, I thought maybe it was a poor church, something like that. So I knew he was digging there. Then at some point, he told me that he was also burying some papers. Oh, I must have asked him, why are you digging? He said he was burying some papers. I said, what kind of papers? He said, psychological tests that he did at Towson. And he didn't want them to get into anybody's hands. I thought that was rather strange. But he had gone to Towson as a master's degree student. He did have to test people at that time. Mm -hmm. I thought he was just digging up something that he was burying there. but I thought that was strange. Then when I saw the in the paper at one time, I remember seeing in the paper the death of Sister, what's her name? I See, I didn't go, what is the name of the sister you're in? Sister Kathy. Sister Kathy. Sister Kathy. There were pictures in the paper of her. I never met her. I did not know her. But there was a staking suspicion that I, and I must have put it out of my mind, that Joe uh, was, and I'll call him Joe because that's how I knew him, that Joe was involved in that. And then I thought, oh, God, I hope not. That's it. So I really don't know. And I did not know about all these scandals with Catholic Church until they broke out in the news recently. When you saw Sister Kathy's photo, why do you think that you thought, oh, I hope that Joe didn't have anything to do with that? I didn't know her. So her photo wouldn't have done anything but the paper. and. What seemed suspicious to me was digging in the cemetery and burying psychological papers there because usually you don't, you hand them into the professor, you don't usually bury them. So that was the first time that I was somewhat suspicious. What is going on here? Yeah, the fact that he said he was actually digging, I'm wondering if there are more things buried in small places in that cemetery because he had uh, the groundskeeper dig a hole that's the size of a room. 12 by 12 by 10. Yeah. See, I don't know if he, I don't know if he was digging or said I was digging and someone else was digging that. I can't, can't verify that. I can verify that he told me when I was there that he had come from the cemetery. Digging was being done. I believe he said I was digging, but it could have been he was directing somebody that was digging. And I thought it was weird to bury psychological papers from Towson. So if to the question you asked, did I suspect him in the case of a nun? The only thing that I put together was cemetery psychological papers. I never knew her. Did not mm-hmm. know anybody. Did not know anybody who knew her. So I must have known people who knew her and did not speak about it because 
I was good friends with some of the school teachers at Notre Dame. Never heard her name mentioned. Dr. Richmond, as a teacher, if you have psychological testing, what would be the normal way to dispose of those tests? They would be disposed of in class. They would be shredded. Okay. So it wouldn't be likely for somebody to keep all that. That's why I said I was suspicious, mm-hmm. but I did not know Calhoun's policies. I didn't know if he kept, I didn't know if it was his own test that he gave to people on his internship. And I never asked him, but I mm-hmm. was suspicious of that. Yeah, we've been able to identify. We used pictures of the hole where this stuff was dug up. And we had a photographer do still shots. And we were able to identify what the tests were. and. They are. They were tests that were personality tests. They had parents' names on them, giving permission. Okay, his, his um, test could have been that, but okay. it would be unusual if that were the case that he would right. have buried them in a cemetery. Okay, and often I imagine that he was digging a hole, maybe ten inches by ten inches. He didn't know anything about a big hole. Yeah, can you put your your psychologist hat on for a minute and? This is a loaded question, but you cannot answer this if you prefer not to. But in terms of a diagnosis, would you have a diagnosis of his mental facilities? I would say, and I'm going to put this in terms that people would understand. I would say that Joe had more than one personality. And I don't know if they even knew each other or not. I do know from the friend, I think there was a good Joe and a not so good Joe. And I think the good Joe was a person who really wanted to be holy. I think I told your interviewers this, the person that I knew at Loyola, he had talked to a good bit, the person who sent him from Loyola to Hopkins where I was. And we are now friends and we have talked a little bit about this and she has told me that he had told her, he did not tell me this directly, that his mother from the age of four on dressed him as a priest. He was supposed to be a very good guy in the family. I can tell you another incident that where he was helping me, and that is that I at the time owned a boat, and I was having some trouble with the boat. And evidently, he knew something about boats. But he went on the boat with me one time and taught me how to do some things. There was never anything sexual between him and me, if I'm making any sense. But sure, there was there there was this show that was always trying to be good, trying to be helpful. That was his public persona. If indeed he was involved in all these other things, and you seem to have proof of it, if that's so, then that was another whole person than the person I knew. So the only way he could have reconciled these two people is that if he believed he were doing something good for the priests and good for the church. Now, is that normal? Absolutely not. And there are names for it. There are a multiple personality is a name for it. He may have had more. It's not used anymore. It's dissociative disorder. And I may have mentioned that to the guys that talked to me. He was not schizophrenic. Did he have a personality disorder as well? Very possibly. He might have been narcissistic. But did I see it? Any examples of narcissism from when I saw him? No, I saw only the good joke. Do I think he was sick? Yes, I do. I mean, it, 
as many of the other people in the church who were defending the church and not, not speaking. One of the people that I met at Holy Cross who lived with him was also in, engaged in, in some of the uh, accusations that later came out in the newspapers. I suspect that Holy Cross Church was a place that he, now I suspect that Holy Cross Church was a place that the Archdiocese sent priests to had some accusations against him. I believe the whole church, frankly, is everything that happened at the church with regard to that sick behavior, sick and defensive behavior. Yeah. I also yeah, well, believe, though, that there was they were trying to protect people from the scandal that later ensued, and that's why I think Joe thought it was moral, more moral than perhaps having everybody angry with the church, leaving the church confused, etc., that must have been a strange feeling for you when it dawned on you that there were two personalities or two very different that you were seeing. One You've got to realize that this was a very small part of my life. In other words, he was a student who I knew better than I knew some students, not as well as I knew other students. This was He was a part of my life, but a small part of my life. And what happened in the church did not affect me directly. So what puzzled me was his answer when he said, yes, this is moral. And I really didn't start thinking about all this till Judy, who was Judy Downs, I've forgotten her last name right now. She knew him at, at, where's the middle school that they went to, Our Lady of Victory or something. And she asked me, would I speak to you, Gemma? And I said, yes. And I really didn't think a lot about that in between. In other words, it wasn't a big part of my life. I know more about it now since you're people from the Keepers team than I ever knew because if you were asking me how I knew Joe, until that time that I went to St. Augustine's Church, that's the church in Oakbridge, right? Until yeah. I went there, I didn't know anything was wrong. And you had known him for like already, what, over 10 years, right? Yes, but hadn't seen him for a good part of that. You mentioned the Keepers. Dr. Richmond, what made you decide to participate in the Keepers? One of the school sisters of Notre Dame was his sister. Her name was Sister Marguerite Down. She is now dead, but she was a good friend of mine. And she is the sister, or was the sister, of Judy. Gosh, I don't know if you ever interviewed Judy. She went to Our Lady of Victory, and she was saying that a lot of the people in, in the school were in involved in some pretty nasty things. She said she never was, but that Joe Maskell's name was attached to that. And would I speak to Gemma? And that's how I got involved. And then I think I introduced you to the filmmakers. And was that a hard decision to make, whether or not to be interviewed on camera? No, I've been interviewed on camera a lot of times. So it, <laughs> I didn't know what they were doing, but it, if it would have been helpful to somebody, I would have done it. I think it's very helpful. What's been the reaction? I, 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 What's been the reaction to it, to, the, to you being in the film? More people than I ever thought said, I saw you in the film. And I never thought anybody would ever see the film. So, you know, that, that was interesting. A lot of some students that I had, uh, if I'd run into them or something, let's say I saw you in the Keepers. So I told my friends to watch that kind of thing. But there was also, I think, a reaction in the Jewish community and Pikesville, where I lived, to that because some people asked about it in that community and how did I know them? It just in passing. Um, sure. I've not heard from people across the country or something other than one student who had moved away 
I don't think it was. It moved west somewhere, maybe Ohio or something, who, who wrote to me and said, I saw you in the film. Were you comfortable with the filmmakers? and, and Yeah, they were, they were nice. Yeah. And they, well, they, they shared information. They were kind. They were, they asked, could I answer this? Do I mind answering this? They were very nice. I wish them good luck in their enterprise, whatever they did. They're doing wonderfully. They've moved on to their next couple projects. But Lee, we want to know if there's anything else that you would like to share with us or say about this whole experience. I'd like to ask. (laughs) I'd like to ask what's happened since. Are you any further along than you were? I believe we are. First of all, your episode is going to be heard by people around the world. We have over 120,000 people who follow the Keepers page and the page that this podcast is attached to. I believe we are. Abby and I were in, we tried very hard to get to talk to the cold case detective three years ago and were not successful. And a woman, Corporal Robin Teal, took over the case. And when the filmmakers met her and when Sister Kathy's family met her, they both recommended that she contact Abby Schaub and I. Abby is the other colleague that has been working with me on this. And so the police actually invited us to come to the station in Baltimore County. And we spent an afternoon with them. We had a lot more information than they did. And of course, the information flows in one direction. It's like your a little bit like your occupation because you can't really share confidential information with somebody. But well, I could share everything I knew about because I did I knew him as a teacher, not as a psychologist. I never sure. saw him as a, as a client or I couldn't have shared it. And in this situation, the police, because this is still a cold case, there's not much they can share with us. We share everything we hear from them. We have there have been connections between some of the perpetrators and each other. For example, one woman was able to connect one of the suspects with one of the police officers. So there's been a lot of that. And so the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. Right now, the cold case detectives are still working on it. They're being assisted by the FBI. The FBI is still working on Joyce Malecki's case, and they're being assisted by Baltimore County. Who is Joyce Malecki? Is she another nun? No, she is a young woman who was found murdered four days after Sister Kathy disappeared. Oh, okay. And she also was a member of St. Clement's Parish, where Maskell was the pastor and knew him. And there are some connections. And so both families have been given more information than anybody is given out. What I can say is that there's been a lot of DNA testing and that is not conclusive yet. So Maskell's body was actually exhumed last year. I don't know if you were aware of that. No, I'm not yeah, aware. The state, state's attorney gave permission and I think it was because of the attention from the investigation that we've been doing and his body was exhumed and a full DNA profile was done so that they have all that information. There is evidence from the crime scene 
Mr. Kathy's clothes were taken as evidence. So right now, we just have to be patient. But I believe we're very close. I believe I the police are very close. Thank I, you, Lee. Let me just say one other thing. That Did you ever, another priest's name came to my mind that was at Our Lady of Victory. No, not Our Lady of Victory. The one downtown. Holy Cross. Holy Cross. That was John Corney. Right. Father John Corney. And did anybody ever get to talk to him or he wouldn't talk or what? Because I, I gave his name to the people who came here because I knew right. he, he was there. And That's I think correct. he was on the papers. I think he was. Yeah. That's correct. He's been accused of sexual abuse by a number of people. He also was very good friends with Maskell, and so they were at some of the same parishes together. So the police have looked into him. Of course, even if somebody is accused, the church takes away their faculties, but they don't go to jail. It doesn't make any sense to us that if somebody is credibly accused and loses permission to say the sacrament, the solution to being a pedophile, none of that makes sense. So right now, that whole thing is very sick. Yeah, it is. So we agree with you. But yes, Carney's name has come up a number of times. And there have been a number of reports about abuse at his hands as well. We've actually yeah. talked to the... There were three uh, priests. I don't remember their names. Carney was one. And I. there's one up that's on the tongue and I can't remember. I, this is so long ago that I just don't remember. But I do remember seeing the papers. I do remember being very shocked. And these were evidently what happened at Our Lady of Victory was with middle school kids, not even high school kids. And just really sick. We have reports of victims as young as seven, eight years old. This is why I think that there might have been a dissociative disorder with Joe, because if there were something that in his behavior, would have shown anything other than good guy. I think either I or some of the other students remember all these degrees in counseling would have seen it. And I don't think anybody saw anything unusual in his behavior. That's really fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Dr. Richmond, I have a question about that for a second. I know that you mentioned that Joe was a very intelligent person. If he was a, if he, and of course I'm 29 years old, I've never met this man, but if he was a very intelligent person and if he was guilty of these accusations, do you think it's also plausible that he did a good job of hiding it from so many professioned people in psychology? Yes, I do think that's possible. I also think it's possible that he may not have known it so improbable. Yeah, one of the things. In other words, that he could have been guilty and not know it if he really was dissociative. And with with that multiple personality disorder, of course, that would also make sense of why he was so depressed or upset when you met him at St. Augustine's. Him reading through the accusations, maybe that it, maybe he was experiencing that for the first time. If he was, if he did have multiple personalities. It's all conjecture. If I saw him now, if that visit were to take place now, 
a good answer to your question. You've got to realize that when I went in there, I went in there not knowing, you know, where Joe was in a bad mental state, why I didn't know what was going on. But I didn't know much more when I left, except that it was very puzzling to me at the time, not puzzling anymore, that he could have called this moral. Because he could have called the actions moral to keep people from knowing him. They were really accused of some pretty vile stuff. And they were young kids that were involved in it. Uh, we've talked to many. It was really r- ritualistic. Is, I think what you're trying to say it was ritualistic and almost cult-like. Yeah, it was almost cult. What it was is evidently the priests were ejaculating on these young kids and making signs of the cross on their chest. That is really sick. <laughs> Right. That is no, you're right. You're and right. totally unlike anything that I knew of Joe. It is not unlike anything that I knew of Joe that he would have known of it and covered it up. Now, could he have done it if he was truly dissociative? Sure. Could he have done it if he was truly evil and we didn't pick it up? Like a, It's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde story with him. Right. Is that what a psychopath is? No. It's a different diagnosis. It's a person who believes that killing is okay. A psychopath could believe that harming is okay. Usually there's something genetic with a psychopath. It's usually an extra Y gene. Instead of XY, it would be an XY gene. But these would be people that would shoot people from a tower. And I really doubt that they would have the good side that Joe had. Was his answer psychopathic? Yes. His answer was he a psychopath. I doubt it. More likely multiple personality, I think. It's fascinating because some of the some of the women who were abused suffer from dissociative personality disorder. I know you said that term is not used often, but they actually have the diagnosis. No, what is used is multiple personality disorder now. Okay. It used to be. But dissociative right. is what it's used as and has been used as for about the past 20 years. I see. Because some right. of them, that was how they survived in the middle of this abuse. They just had to, they just put themselves somewhere else. And that's why so many have broken line memories, like a dotted line, because they can't, they haven't yet been able to fill in all the pieces. They're working yeah. at it. But it's very difficult. That, for that makes, where the dissociation is complete, the two personalities don't even know each other. Really? There are states of dissociative person. There, there are various degrees of dissociative personality. And there are some states where it's the two personalities are unknown to each other. Hmm. And so the person goes back and forth depending on the situation? Depending on the situation. I don't know. Please, I, you asked me to guess. I was just taking a guess. I'm not giving a diagnosis. Oh, that's okay, sure. yeah. But I did test somebody who was diagnosed as dissociative. I did do some psychological tests. And right in the middle of the testing, the person switched from one personality to another because the question was threatening and did not know that was happening. The two people didn't know each other. Dr. Richmond, I am I am familiar with that disorder, but I've never considered it for this case. So I'm, I know that you, in no professional capacity, could you diagnose him because, of course, you were just friends with him and you weren't going into any situation trying to diagnose him with that. But it is an interesting thought for us to have, and it would explain how he could be such a good person in your eyes 
but then possibly do horrible things without anyone knowing. Because just to think that he was in classes with all of these very intelligent people within psychology, that's just a mind-boggling thought to have. It's either that or he was a normal person who was defending his buddies. If he were involved in a murder, I would say that's probably what it was. Does that make sense? If, if yes. he was actually involved in the murder, if he was actually... Some of these occurrences with the very young kids, I think middle school kids, probably occurred in the 70s. And that was kind of maybe even before that. And that was a weird period in history where... People were doing odd things in general. The age of Aquarius, it was a different time. I'm making sense. Might have been, he might have been protecting his friends. He might have been protecting the church. I believe that the good Joe would have done anything to protect the church. And I believe that's what he was taught by the church. I know of a guy that was abused who was told not to go to therapy. So if you're a good Catholic, you forgive. And if you go to therapy, go to a priest who is a therapist. The whole thing was sick. So he might have been normal and a part of that abnormal behavior on the part of the church. He might have been part of a group that was just doing that. If he were engaged in a murder, he is not the Joe that I knew. If he was the other Joe, if he was just part of the church, that part of the church was not seen to the very beautiful daughter of the friend that I had, we drove home from the state police or whatever. It was not seen by me, it was not seen by any of the other students who worked with him at Hopkins. I don't think you'll find a person. If my friend would have allowed the people to, who did the keepers to interview her, and I encouraged her to do that, she would have said that she saw none of this behavior. She was his colleague at Loyola. Certainly, if I knew of this behavior, he would never have gotten into Hopkins. Sure. After you had this insight, did you like go back in your mind to times that you had been in his company and wondering if you sensed anything odd? Yes, and I never did. And there was a period of about a year's time when I was in his company a good, good bit. Another thing that I found out, I don't know if it was you or the people who did the keepers, they asked me to go back and see if I could ever find them in Loyola's catalog. The catalogs mm-hmm. where he would have been at Loyola are missing. I could not find them in the library. Nope, I could not find anybody that would talk about it except my friend who knew him. And the person who directed the whole department at Loyola is now gone. Anybody who knows him was there is dead except for this friend of mine. Would have shown what he was teaching. Yeah, I could not. I found all the years. I found several years missing, and they would have been the years that he was there. So it, he was there. He was at Towson, all those things, Check Was at Hopkins. Did he ever talk to you about studying to be a gynecologist? Absolutely not. I would have noticed no. that. Yeah, he told a number of students that he had done work in that field and was trained. Because well, the gynecologist took- involved in this stuff, wasn't there? Didn't yeah. The are making- okay, here's yeah. another piece of the puzzle then. Somebody who had seen, and I know who it was, the person from TIA Craft Retirement Fund, he had seen the keepers, and he is my, but he said that he lived near a, I think it was a gynecologist or a psychologist that was involved in this, 
and he never knew anything about it. Right. There, there were two. There was one psychologist who was on loan from the archdiocese that would do testing at TO, and he's still living. The gynecologist is Christian Richter. He was also part of the lawsuit because Maskell took a n- large number of girls there for procedures. And I and think this is, I think that's the name of this person who his name is last name is Herb, William Urban U R B A N. Oh my God, he was well known, still living. I called him and talked to him one day, and I made the mistake of giving him my phone number. And now I've tried to talk to him again, and so he has caller ID and he knows it's me. In the 1970s. I was not at Loyola at the time. I was not even at Hopkins yet at the time, but I was teaching evening classes at Loyola. And I believe, and I think they called him Bill Urban. And I believe he was a psychologist there at the time. He won't talk to me anymore. And he worked in different schools, a different number. He told me he was only at Keogh for three hours a week, but we know that it was more than that. And we know that both he and Maskell were tight. I know nothing of this. I didn't know Maskell until 10 years later, at least. We appreciate your insight. The mystery is how Joe could be good, Joe, and I'm sure you've met other people who saw him as good. Sure. Some of the students saw him as good. And sick. Not yeah. many. <laughs> Not many. No, he wouldn't have been Kirk, there. But he had a really bad temper. If you were waiting in the chapel to go to confession or if you were sitting in one of the pews laughing with your friend, he would come storming out of the confessional and scream at everybody. And that's, inter- like, that's interesting like, because that would have been traditional. But when I knew him, he wanted to present himself as a liberal and loving everybody. Mm-hmm. So that's another dichotomy. He was really inappropriate with some of the kids at St. Clement's, not in a sexual way, but just in the way he talked to them. And he would come in the classrooms and embarrass children and boys would stand up and yell back at him and he would just have a tantrum. Yeah, it's a real interesting, like you said, dichotomy. He was probably a weak mama's boy who wanted to present himself as a very strong boy. That might have been the original Mm -hmm. split. Yeah, what do you make of that being a little priest at the age of four? Isn't that weird? Yeah, but that's a goody-goody. That's a goody little guy. I'll bet, I would bet when you say that, that that's part of the two parts of Joe. The scared part, which comes out as a, as a, a bully. Mm. None of this did I see.